Excellent work. Thank you, Elise. And I'm sure you all probably have one Christmas song that's your favorite, and that's at the top of my list. That is uh, my favorite Christmas song. Love uh, singing that. And we're going to get to sing a lot of Christmas songs together over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and so I encourage you to be with us. Hopefully it works out for maybe both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day or maybe one of them. Um, but looking forward to that time together. We are uh, leading up to the Christmas season in the book of Ruth. Uh, been the tradition in the four years that I've been here that we've gone through a short Old Testament book in the season leading up to Christmas uh, because we recognize that all of the Old Testament is there for other reasons too, but certainly centrally to point us to Jesus. And it is fascinating to see the ways in which the Old Testament all points us to Jesus. And so we're in the little book of Ruth. If you're looking for it in your Bible, it's towards the beginning. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And I see a bunch of Awana kids like doing it along with me, and I'm not going to sing the corny song that you guys sing. I'm just going to say it, okay? All right, so we're in the book of Ruth this morning, uh, and we are in the third chapter. It's only four chapters. Next week, we'll finish it up. Uh, but it is an incredibly beautiful story. And it's a story that maybe on the outside, you'd look at it and say, well, this seems so minor. It's the story of one displaced immigrant family trying to make choices in order to help them to survive during a really tough time. What does that have to do with anything else? And we'll find certainly next week uh, that it has a lot to do with everything else. But this story really points us to the much, much bigger story that it's a part of. And that is the story that it is through this family that a Redeemer, the ultimate Redeemer, will one day come. As we look forward to this Christmas. And so, we have been on this journey through the book of Ruth, looking at chapters 1 and 2. And uh, here's what we've found so far. There are four people at the beginning of the book who leave Bethlehem which means house of bread, but there's no bread there. There's a famine because God's people have been rebellious. God has judged them. And so Elimelech is the man's name, and his wife Naomi and their two sons leave Bethlehem and go to the land of Moab. They're separating themselves from God's land and God's people, expecting that there God might provide for them in ways that he hasn't provided for them in Bethlehem. But tragedy strikes while they're in Moab, and three of the four of them die, leaving only Naomi on her own. Before the two sons died, they had married Moabite women. And Naomi is bitter, and she decides to return to Bethlehem. She is a foreigner. She's out of place there in Moab, and so she convinces, tries to convince Orpah and Ruth, her two daughters-in-law, to stay there with their people, to worship their gods and to have their own inheritance, because she says, I can't provide anything for you. I don't have anything that you need. Uh, you need a husband to provide for and protect you. That's the only way to get by in our day, and I will not be able to provide that for you. So you stay. Orpah listens to her and stays, and Ruth commits to staying with her bitter mother-in-law on the journey from Moab to Bethlehem. And then once in Bethlehem, they arrive, and Naomi lets everybody there know that she's not the same person she was when she left. Her name is Naomi, which means sweet or pleasant. 
But she tells the people there, hey, why don't you start calling me Mara, which means bitter, because I am not sweet and pleasant anymore. God has dealt me a hard hand. God has dealt with me bitterly, and I'm bitter. So that's how we ended chapter 1. And then we get to chapter 2. We're wondering, how are these two widows going to survive with, with no one to provide for and protect them? And Ruth is extremely out of place. She's a Moabite coming to live amongst God's people. And they had certain ideas in their minds about what Moabites were like and wouldn't want to associate with them in many ways. How are they going to make it? And then last week in chapter 2, we saw that this man named Boaz shows up. Boaz is one who in the midst of a time when many other people were not anymore, Boaz still worshipped the Lord God. And Boaz shows incredible kindness. He was reflecting the heart and character of God by showing kindness to this foreigner, this immigrant who had come to their land and he made sure that she was provided for and protected in so many ways. And in that way he reflects the character of God. But we came to the end of chapter 2 wondering, what now? So Boaz was very kind and provided for them for one harvest season. But what about the rest of life? Naomi and Ruth are still extremely vulnerable by the time we get to the end of chapter 2. But now there's a bit more hope. And so we get to Ruth chapter 3 today. And uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn in your Bible to Ruth chapter 3. And the question we're going to look at is, what now? Is there a Redeemer? Is there somebody who can come alongside these women long term and provide for them? Looking for a Redeemer. So, if you're able to, would you please stand as we read God's Word this morning? Reading from the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the opportunity You give me to proclaim it this morning. Thank You that... Uh, your Holy Spirit is at work, not only in me, but in those who are hearing it, that we might hear what you have to say. And as the psalmist says, I would pray that for me and for each of us. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi Her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then... Go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. 
And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a Redeemer, yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if He will redeem you, good, then let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at His feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And He said, Bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and He measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty handed to your mother in law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin, as always, there is a spot for you to take some notes if that helps you to follow along with the sermon. That's included with that is an application guide that I put together each week, too. So whether you're meeting in a life group or not, I'd encourage you to check that out this week. Two points, and then we're going to get to the gospel, because all of the Old Testament points us to the gospel. So that's where we're going to end today. But two points here in Ruth chapter 3. First, the first is this, Naomi and Ruth seek a redeemer remember Naomi and Ruth certainly at the end of chapter one Naomi seemed kind of hopeless like she had no sort of plan for what was going to happen she didn't know how she was going to be provided for but now because of the kindness shown to her immigrant daughter-in-law by this man named Boaz in chapter two it's like she has some new hope some new life like thinking hey Maybe God will provide. Maybe God will not always deal bitterly with me. Maybe God will be gracious to me. And when you're infused with that kind of hope, then you start to make plans. And that's what she starts to do here in chapter 3. She starts to make a plan. And so if you looked at Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, you would see that in verses 1 and 2, Naomi has a plan that she shares with Ruth. Ruth has taken care of Naomi and in, in an incredibly loving and kind way. And now Naomi wants to be sure that her and Ruth will be secure for the long haul and not just through this harvest season. So she says, could I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? And then she knows that, remember, this lady, that this man that Ruth had met, Boaz, was their relative. He could, in fact, serve as a redeemer. Now, this custom in the Jewish faith was, and probably by some others as well, but was this, that land and rights of the family could only be passed on through males. And so if you were a widow, somebody who had lost your husband, how is it that you were going to be provided for and protected? You had to find somebody who would provide for and protect you, and it should be somebody in that same family 
line, right? Initially, probably a brother-in-law, right? Boaz is not a brother-in-law. He was not, he was not a brother to uh, Naomi's son and Ruth's wife, or Ruth's husband, but he was in their family, okay? And so Naomi knows this, that Boaz is related to them, and so she thinks this would be a good plan for Ruth, this young daughter-in-law of mine who is widowed, to get married to this older godly man named Boaz. And so she says, here, I have a plan. Harvest is done, and when harvest is done, the harvesters would gather together and they would... uh, winnow their barley and they would until it was shipped out in the morning they would lay next to their heaps of grain to protect it until it was sent away in the morning and so that's what's happening and she knows that's going to happen and so she has an interesting plan doesn't she did you hear that as i was reading that what she tells ruth to do you're like what in the world that just sounds maybe a little bit risky doesn't it that that she's telling ruth wash yourself and anoint yourself with scented oils to make yourself smell good, put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, watch everything quietly so you know where, because the barn would have had other people laying down by their heaps of grain as well, and watch where Boaz lays down, and when he's asleep, lift up the corner of the garment by his feet and go under it. Interesting. And he will tell you what to do, Naomi says. And Ruth is going along with the plan. She's loyal to her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law said, this is the way I think God's going to provide for us. And so Ruth says, all that you say, I will do. Not surprising to hear that from Ruth, is it? And so Ruth is bold. Verses 6 and 7, we see her, and the plan's going exactly along just as planned here in verses 6 to 7. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Okay, so you you get the picture in your mind of what's going on here. This is going exactly according to plan. But remember that Naomi's plan was, Ruth, when you go there, you do this, and then when he wakes up, You just do whatever he tells you. You let him take the first step. Now, Ruth is going to be extremely bold here, and she's not going along with her mother-in-law's plan. Look at what she does here in verses 8 through 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. That is startling, I'm sure. You're there to protect your grain. You went to bed and you were alone and you wake up and somebody had uncovered your feet. Maybe he woke up because a draft came through or something. He's like, what? There's a woman at my feet while I sleep here on the threshing floor. So he's startled, it says. And he said, which anybody would logically say at that point, who are you? Now he knew Ruth. Remember, he had provided for her for the last maybe eight weeks or so. But it's dark. Didn't have a nightlight in the barn. And so he asks, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. And then the the language she uses is interesting. She says to him, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now remember, the the plan, we don't know why she goes against the plan. The plan was you, you just lay there and you let him say something. But Ruth 
immediately, I mean, the thing, only thing he said is, who are you? And she says, well, I'm Ruth. And she doesn't just leave it at that. She basically proposes marriage to him. That's basically what is happening here as she lays on the threshing floor. I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant. Now, wings, your, yours might even say the corner of your garment. Um, your translation might say the corner of your garment. Um, but the word is the same word that was in chapter 2, verse 12, when Boaz recognized that Ruth had come to take shelter and refuge under the wings of the Lord God. So this is, this is Ruth using that same language, saying, I'm coming to take shelter here. Just like I came to take shelter under the wings of the Lord God, here I am coming to take shelter under you, points out the fact that he is a redeemer. Now, he would have understood what she meant by that, that, that he was a part of her husband's, her, her husband's family who could be a redeemer for her, recognizing that she needed to be provided for. He would have known this for sure. And I just love, I mean, I love looking at this. Before we get onto the, like, you're kind of wondering, well, then what? Then what? Yes, I know, we'll get there. But I want to stop and notice how we see so clearly here that God is sovereign over all things for sure. But I don't think that if Ruth had Facebook, she would have put one of those images up that just said, like, let go and let God. That's not Ruth's approach. Her approach is not, hey, God's sovereign, so whatever. Her approach is God's sovereign, and we better make a plan. If I'm going to be provided for and protected, we're going to need a redeemer. And so she is bold and strategic in seeking out this man named Boaz to be the redeemer. So, I mean, on the threshing floor, with the corner of the blanket covering their feet, she says to him, you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant. Ruth is bold. And do you feel the tension here? This would have been so countercultural in so many ways. I mean, how surprising. I mean, you imagine Boaz, he's just been sleeping, and I don't know how you are when you get awoken from your sleep, maybe not thinking clearly all the time. I one time walked into our closet. Uh, one of our kids was crying, and our closet's not even a walk-in closet. I don't know how I managed it. Um, but I thought like, oh, the kids are crying. They woke up and I was going to go and help them. And I just walked into my closet and I couldn't find my way out. And I was banging around in there and stuff. That's the way I am when I get woken up in the middle of the night. Here Boaz gets woken up in the middle of the night. And there's a woman at his feet who is saying to him, you're a redeemer. Almost proposing marriage to him, which a woman would not have done in that day. Right? So... There's a lot of tension here where you wonder, what is Boaz going to do with that? What's going to go on here? And then you've got kind of these, these strange overtones with the way that Naomi told her to go about it. You know, she's, she's coming and it's dark and it's nighttime and she's washed herself and anointed herself. And, and she's sharing part of a blanket now with this man. Like, what, what is, what is going to happen here? What's going on? And Boaz is not legally obligated to do anything for this foreigner. Right? Ruth is a Moabite. She's not even an Israelite. Boaz is not her husband's brother. He's not legally obligated to do anything for her. 
How will he respond to this bold move on the part of Ruth? And so we're going to see at the last part of this chapter. Boaz provides again and vows to find the Redeemer. He's an incredibly honorable man. Verse 10, he says this. He says, and he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He's recognizing what she's doing is basically proposing to be married to him. And he recognizes that this beautiful young immigrant woman could have chosen somebody younger. He's an older man and so he's surprised and he knows that she is being incredibly kind by saying that he would marry, she would marry him. Well, it says this, is a, a, this last kindness is greater than the first. The first kindness he's probably referring to is earlier when he noticed that she was extremely kind to her mother-in-law by caring for her. He pointed that out. And now he's saying this is even better. Right? You're not going after younger men. And now, my daughter, listen to the, the kind way in which he talks to her. Kind of those, those ideas that, that we would have of like what's going to happen here. There's something sexual going on here. The way that he talks to her is with a lot of integrity saying, My daughter, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Bethlehem was a little town. That's what we sing the song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. That's where they live. And so her reputation in these weeks where she's been back, it's been about eight weeks or so, she's been back. Her reputation has spread, and most people know now that she is a worthy woman. Yes, she's a Moabite, but look at how she sacrificially loves and serves her mother-in-law. She is a woman of integrity, and she is now talking with this man of great integrity as well. And he says, though, that there's somebody closer than me. I will do for you all that you ask. But I don't know if Ruth's heart would have sunk a little bit when he said these next things. When he said, it is true that I am a Redeemer, but there is a Redeemer nearer than I. That's what he says in verse 12. And so being a man of integrity, wanting to do what is honorable, he says, I need to give that man the opportunity first to be your Redeemer, to marry you and provide for you and carry on your family line. So he says, I'm going to check with him in the morning, and if he won't do it, then I will gladly do it. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Now just lie down till the morning. He knows, I assume, that it would be dangerous for Ruth to go out in the middle of the night alone and walk back to the city. He says, just lie down for until the morning. And I go through this, and I think of a lot of different things. But I love seeing this example of the integrity of these two people. You know, I think even the way that the author goes about writing this, it's intentionally kind of getting us to think like, ooh, I wonder, that, that seems kind of risky. What, what's, going to, what's going to happen there? You wonder what's going to happen, but then it turns out in the end that these two give us a rare example of sexual purity in the Bible. There's many examples all throughout the Bible that are the opposite of that, right? Of people making sinful choices sexually. But here we have this beautiful picture, I think, of two people who acted with a lot of integrity. We live in a culture where where that's certainly not what's displayed to us as something that's valuable. 
right? Whether you're reading a book or a magazine, whether you're watching a TV show or a movie, whether you're listening to music, the idea that is displayed in our culture that we hear over and over again is that sexual purity is not valuable and probably not even possible, right? That's the message that we hear over and over again. But Scripture would tell us a different story. It would say, no, you know what? They're wrong. It is valuable. It is good. And it is possible. So I think that that this is at least part of an application that we can get from reading through Ruth chapter 3 to look at what, at the character of these two and what that highlights for us. I came across this quote as I was studying this passage and I thought it was helpful. So I'm just going to read it uh, to you. The mood of American life today is, if it feels good, then do it. But I say to you who are unmarried, if the stars are shining in their beauty and your blood is thudding like a hammer and you are safe in the privacy of your place, then stop. For the sake of righteousness, let the morning dawn on your purity. Stand with Boaz and Ruth in your commitment never to have sexual relations outside of a marriage. I know that many of you have already failed. There's hope for forgiveness. If you have failed sexually, there is forgiveness and cleansing in the offspring of Ruth and Boaz, Jesus Christ. But for those who have not yet had sexual relations outside of marriage, indeed for all who hope to fight for future holiness, I am pleading with you for your own sake and for the glory of Christ that you embrace the strategic righteousness of Ruth and Boaz. They are models of deep, strong, righteous, passionate love, better models than politicians and movie stars. Very true. And I think that's helpful. I'm grateful for this example that they share with us here, that's shared with us here in Scripture. We have many examples in Scripture of those who have fallen in this way. But what a, what a, what a refreshing delight to have an example of two who are committed to sexual purity. I think it's good for us to see that. I think we need to recognize that when we see failure taking place in this way in Scripture, that it is true that forgiveness is offered through faith in Christ to all who have failed in this way. I think it's also important for us to see that it's not impossible to live a sexually pure life. We see that here in Ruth chapter 3. Both of them being people of great integrity then make an effort We see in verse 14, so she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. He and they, he and she both know that nothing took place there, but they're going to go out of their way so that it doesn't appear that something inappropriate may have taken place there. And so in verse 15, he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, and she went into the city. So in the early hours of the morning, once again recognizing that maybe her stores have run out, and they need to eat. And so he provides some grain for Ruth to take back to Naomi. Six measures. It doesn't say what kind of measure. Most of the time they measured it in ephahs. If it was an ephah, it would have been 80 pounds that he put on her. I don't know if she was up for handling that. Um, It just says measures, though, so we don't know. Maybe they used a different measurement than the normal one uh, here. But either way, she's taking home some grain, and they're going to be able to eat. And then this passage ends with just another display of confidence in God's provision. Verses 16 and 18, Ruth comes back home. 
tells Ruth or tells Naomi what happened. Naomi and Ruth are grateful and very hopeful and confident. Verse 18, Naomi says, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. She knows that Boaz is a man of his word. He has shown great integrity in all things. And if he said, I will find that Redeemer for you today, and if he won't do it, then I will, Naomi says, we can trust him in that. And there's all sorts of confidence as they come to the end of chapter 3. But you wonder, well, who's it going to be? Is it going to be this other guy who's closer, or is it going to be Boaz? Who's it going to be? And then you still are wondering, why, how does this tie into the bigger picture of what God's doing amongst his people? And that's going to become very, very clear when we get to chapter 4 next week. But I don't want to wait until chapter 4 next week to look at how this appoints us to the gospel. I mean, you read a story like this, and it is a beautiful story, but it took place 3,000 years ago in a place much different than the place that we're living today, amongst the people much different than the people that are living today. And so how does this apply to us, and how does this point us to Jesus? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, where we'll end today. In chapter 1, as we were going through the book of Ruth, we saw the gospel on display as Ruth was this outsider who came to Bethlehem, and that made me think of the fact that Jesus was this outsider who left his throne in heaven to come to be born in Bethlehem, right? And it's through him that we would find redemption. In chapter 2, we saw the kindness of Boaz, that Boaz went out of his way to show kindness to this foreigner, Right, this one who was separated from God's people and separated from God by her sin. Yet Boaz showed great kindness to her. And that reminded us much of Jesus who comes to we who are separated from God because of our sin. And he comes to us, we who are far off, and he brings us together. We saw the gospel in that last week. And now in chapter 3, how do we see the gospel? In Luke chapter 24. Jesus has already been put to death on the cross by the time we get to Luke 24. He has been buried in a tomb. He has been raised from the dead. And he has not yet ascended to heaven. So that's the period we're at, okay, here in Luke 24. And and all of the people who had followed Jesus, his disciples, were mourning and grieving because the Savior that they thought had come to redeem them. They thought He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to rescue us. But now they put Him to death and they put His body in a tomb. He's dead. And so they're feeling quite hopeless. And so there's a couple of disciples walking along a path and Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And I love this passage. Let's look at it in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 18. It says, Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you... Oh, by the way, Jesus shows up. I I didn't give you the whole context. Jesus shows up. So, So imagine this. These disciples of Jesus mourning the fact that he has died. Jesus walks up and is walking now along with them. And Jesus is like, well, what's going on, guys? And that's a paraphrase. He doesn't say it like that. Verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Now he's saying this to Jesus. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? 
And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. See, God's people all throughout the centuries, it had been a thousand years since the time of Ruth, God's people, just like Ruth and Naomi, were seeking a redeemer, God's people had been seeking a redeemer, one who would come and rescue them. And many of them thought Jesus was the one. They said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but they killed him. And then they say, yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. It's been three days. Been in the tomb for three days. Is there a redeemer for us? We thought he was the one. Maybe he's not. Verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the woman said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, listen to this, imagine this moment. Now Jesus is talking to these disciples, and he says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus does a Bible study with these guys. And the only Bible he's got is the Old Testament. That's all they had at this time. And he's saying, it's all about me. Don't you see it? And then their eyes are open. That's what happens later on in Luke chapter 24. Their eyes are open and they see him for who he is. Incredible story. But Jesus is just walking them through Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, saying, it's all about me. The Redeemer that you were seeking and you thought maybe He was dead, I'm that Redeemer. The Redeemer that all of the Old Testament was pointing to, I'm that Redeemer. So I think we see the Gospel pointed to very clearly here in Ruth chapter 3. As Ruth and Naomi know that they need a Redeemer, and they're looking for a Redeemer and seeking to find it in this man Boaz, and he will be a Redeemer. Well, I just ruined the story. He will be a Redeemer for them for the rest of their lives, but they, along with all of God's people, are looking for the ultimate Redeemer who will provide for and protect them for all of eternity. And that person comes in Jesus. And so a couple of questions for you to close. That is this. What are you seeking today? Jesus is the Redeemer that we need. And listen, if He does not provide salvation for you, If He does not protect you from the wrath and judgment of the Father, then you are in a worse position than Naomi and Ruth. You are destined for eternal conscious punishment separated from the Lord forever if you are not redeemed by the Redeemer. And so I would ask you, are you seeking a Redeemer today? Someone to get you out of the mess. And you're looking at your life, and you might be able to put on a good front for most people, But if you're honest, your life is a mess and you are addicted to sin. It's what you want to do. Your life is filled with it. 
Are you looking for somebody to get you out of the mess that you're in? It's Jesus. Maybe today you're looking for a companion. You're feeling lonely in life. Ruth and Naomi could relate to you in that. Maybe you're looking for a companion, someone to be with you so you're not alone. It's Jesus. Maybe you're looking for someone to provide and protect you like Ruth and Naomi were. Someone who can give you what you need and make you safe and secure. And so many people spend their whole life looking for these things. What's going to give me significance? What's going to give me safety and security? When I'm going to feel like everything is good in the world? And so we start seeking after that in so many other things that only maybe can satisfy for a period of time. Maybe it's this relationship. Maybe it's this thing. Maybe it's this job. Whatever it is. And we seek after it and seek after it, feeling like we're never finding it. Our provider and our protector is Jesus. Do you know Him? That's what I want to offer us today. It's the best thing I can offer us, that He is the Redeemer that we're seeking. And that we would be people that would stop seeking what we can find only in Jesus and expecting others to give it to us. He is our Redeemer. We sing of Him that He is the dear desire of every nation. Joy of every longing heart. That's real. We sing that because it's true. That He is the dear desire of every nation. He is the joy of every longing heart. So I don't know what you're desiring, what you're longing for, what you think you need this morning. But I would just end by submitting to you. I think what you need more than anything else, that you need a Redeemer. And Jesus is that Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for sending Your Son to redeem us, to be a ransom for many. Not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. We are undeserving. Like we sang earlier, two wonders here that we confess. Our worth as people made in Your image, but our unworthiness as sinners who are rebellious against You. Yet our ransom was paid for us at the cross. I thank you for that work of Jesus. And I pray that whatever it is that we're longing for and seeking after and running to, that you would help us during this week to repent of sin and to follow hard after Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.